Hello. Hello, Jacob. How are you? Mic check, mic check. <laughs> All right. Are we, are we live? We are live. All right. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yes. Um, I think last time we, we, we talked about your research. So uh, I think it was very insightful. And I actually learned a lot. So I'm looking forward to the reverse this time around. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Excited. Again, this is another first for me. Um, my first time hosting a podcast. So I'm really excited. I'm also really fortunate to have to host my very good friend, uh, Jacob Fulton, who I met through Babson's. Um, one second. I need to close my window. The train's, the train's in the background. It's open. That's part of the process. All right, awesome. Okay, all set. The studio is ready. Uh, we've soundproofed the studio, so I think we're ready to go. <laughs> That's good. All right. Excited, man. So thank you, Jacob, for joining joining me today as I host uh, today's episode of the podcast. And today we're going to be learning about you, um, your experiences, professional experiences, but also some of your travel experiences, and yeah, um, you know the things that you've done and and encountered to bring you to this point that you are in your life. And so I think it's fair to start by introducing ourselves. My name is Kevin Richardson. I'm a graduate student at Babson and you are. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, uh, Kevin. So yes, I, good friends with Kevin. Uh, uh, and I also at the uh, Masters of Science and Finance uh, student at Babson College as well. So um, really excited to be here and interested in emerging markets, interested in a lot of of uh, um, you know entrepreneurial endeavors, investment opportunities. So, um, so excited to be uh, being interviewed in this episode. Uh, in this episode, and I'm looking forward to your questions, Kevin. Awesome. So, uh, Jacob, tell us I, why don't you start by telling us um, what how you became involved. So, Jacob's an entrepreneur, um, and he started a few and been involved in multiple ventures. Interestingly, not only in the US, but also across the African continent and in Asia. How, do you, how about you tell us how you, you give us some background to who you are and, and how you became involved in entrepreneurship? Oh, definitely. I, yeah, so I think, I mean, so just to be very uh, honest and vulnerable, like most of the endeavors I started um, hasn't really worked out well. <laughs> I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's just, I just want to put it out there. Don't be modest, you know. Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> for for uh, uh, to give people, um, you know, because I think one of the things that when you see someone as an entrepreneur, or you know, you have you have done something, it doesn't it, it? By some measure, there has been a learning curve, um, and there's still that learning process you're going through. So, I just wanted to say that, uh, uh, just wanted to put it out there first. But um, just to answer your question, so I actually never really. Um, saw myself uh, as an entrepreneur or do anything related to business or or finance or anything within that realm. Uh, it was, I think it was by circumstance, but also by, um, um, I had to put myself in a situation where um, I had to do something. So I'll just give some context behind that. So, um, you know, I came to the United States, you know, about 11 years ago. And 
at that time, I just left my home country, Cameroon. And back in Cameroon, you know, I was exposed a lot into, um, or exposed a lot to the healthcare system. So my dad is a physician and my mom is a pharmacist. And, you know, the kind of what I saw as the ideal job was being a, a physician or a pharmacist. You know, there were, and I grew up in an era where, uh, unfortunately, HIV AIDS was like a big um pandemic uh, or epidemic sorry in Cameroon and my dad actually treated some of these patients and it was something that I saw firsthand so you know growing up and you know you know I saw that not only do you provide the opportunities for people to have live better lives uh, but also uh, the opportunity to heal a nation right so you know fast forward uh, you know about 10 years into um, kind of my formative years, about 17, 18, 18 uh, found myself in Wisconsin. And, you know, I had enrolled into this very uh, kind of a basketball school. It's called Marquette. You know, Dwayne Wade went there. Jimmy Butler yeah. was my classmate. Um, um, so it was like, you know, very... Bad, Wait, very... did you say Jimmy Butler was your classmate? Yes, Jimmy how... Butler was my classmate. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, at that time, he was... I mean, we didn't see him as one of the ideal, um, <laughs> you know. We, we, uh, he, I, I mean, he was not averaging, I think he was averaging like seven points a game. I mean, when sophomore year, I think it was junior year where he actually averaged like 12. Then he went up to like 17 senior year. Then, um, I mean, it was fascinating to see that, uh, to see Jimmy Butler from uh, what he was as a college basketball player and to now what he is, you know, he's one of, the greats in this era, I guess. Absolutely. No question about that. You know, so, but, I mean, we can talk about basketball. It's a whole episode. One of us has permission. But it was it was very cool. And it, this was Market University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, so I, I decided to measure in biology because I felt that was a very great um, uh, foundation to learn the basics and the essentials or the core classes that we needed to apply to medical school. Right. So, you know, uh, I did my undergrad degree, you know, I, I found myself uh, leaning towards research. So I finished the degree 2012. I started to do some research at Medical College of Wisconsin. And thereafter, I applied for this program at the National Institute of Health in D.C. This was 2013, 2014. And the program was geared towards minority students who are trying to build a career in research, but also in, you know, medicine. Mm-hmm. So that led me to NIH. I did some really cool stuff there with National Human Genomes Research Institute, uh, working on, this might get very scientific, but we actually the human genome sequencing, mm-hmm. uh, not on humans, but we work with this fish called zebrafish. And there is this very good uh, savvy technology that was being, uh, was kind of the hot thing at that time. It's called CRISPR-Cas9. So we we knock out genes and see what it has effect on the fish and stuff like that to address some problems in humans. Like, you know, these are genes that are analogous to zebrafish from, from humans. And we knock it out to see if that gene was responsible for that disease. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I did that for like a year, a year and a half. Then I found myself in Boston, not uh, on Longwood area. Um, because I've gotten some experience in research, I was 
I, I did apply for one job at the uh, TH Transco Public Health. And that's the one uh, at Harvard, is... is that correct? Yes. So what a great experience. I thought, I, you know, at that time, you know, yeah, legitimately feel like I've arrived working at a school like that. Uh, I was quite, it was quite the experience. Um, you know, I did some work there with TB, tuberculosis, and the goal was to come up with the vaccine, a, a more uh, highly potent vaccine because the BCG that we, I think you know about the BCG. Yes. Um, the efficacy rate was still very, you know, still hanging around 40 to maybe 60%. But the goal was to come up with a vaccine that could actually help even treat patients that are immunocompromised, like HIV patients. So something that's much more uh, potent. So that was a very cool experience. But you know, during that time, I reconnected with a friend, a childhood friend, who at that time was going to MIT. Mm-hmm. And he was doing his degree in electrical and computer science. I think they call it six course six two. And he invited me to this hackathon. So hackathon is like a bunch of random you know, people, uh, you, know, you have different backgrounds, business, engineering, you know, psychology, and it's just a range of backgrounds come together for like 48 hours and solve a challenge that has been uh, posed by the organizers of the hackathon. It can be very tech. Sometimes it's very um, business or sometimes it can be in between. So um, I did attend one of that. It was just like pretty cool and just amazing. Uh, and I saw that this this is an interesting space. So that was like my introduction. And this friend of mine is actually now in California working at Oracle, but he kind of gave me that exposure and I think the turning point was actually when I attended uh, a conference. It was an uh, international government conference at the Harvard Kennedy School. This was in 2015. And I met this guy. I'm, I'm sure you know him. His name is Sango Dell. And he, at that time, he was a student at the Harvard Law School as well as the Harvard Business School. And he gave a very, very good speech about why young people need to get involved in providing change in Africa from an entrepreneurial lens, right? And I think seeing someone that young, but also that confident and ambitious to make a difference on the continent, which is primarily uh, being led by people like older folks, was just very intriguing, but also very inspiring. So that's actually when I realized that, you know, maybe doing something in the entrepreneurial space would provide a lot of opportunities not just for myself, but for people. And having that naivety, like just not knowing all the facts by by itself might be a great way to actually create solutions because, you know, you don't limit yourself to uh, what might go wrong or the risk that, which I think you you should still consider. But um, it was just a great way to see that, you know, working in this lab, you solve one problem, but being an entrepreneur, you can actually build systems that will actually help different types of people from different backgrounds and cultures, but also different professions to actually address the systemic problems that I thought Africa would be in the best position to benefit from. So, I mean, a lot of other things happen, but, you know, those were the kind of the formative uh, exposures that led me to apply to business school in 2017. And my thesis at that time was like, after being exposed and doing some startups with who is a friend of mine in California, I kind of let the, the person that I wrote was how 
I want to learn the skills that Babson, which is kind of known for its entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship program, I want to learn the skills of operations, strategy, team management that I can use to build systems and platforms in Africa that will provide room for even the unskilled people to have uh, jobs that they can employ themselves but also kind of transform their communities. So it took a span of like five years to get me to a point where I realized that maybe this was a very good space to impact change uh, from a systemic level that I think uh, most African countries, Cameroon for one, and some other African countries might be really, might really need or will be willing to have someone with those skill sets to create some of these programs that will empower the youth, create jobs, you know, and also uh, provide some opportunities for cross-collaboration and partnership that will be critical to the economic growth of these countries. Wow. I mean, it's, it's incredibly amazing, you know, how much, um, how much exposure you've had over the years. And I've known you for a little while now, but just this, the more I hear from you, the more I hear about you, the more I realize you've done an experience and encountered that, you know, this continues to blow my mind. I mean, if I think about your experiences, starting from, a biology program in college through your experience with the NIH and through um, your work experience with, with the uh, lab the lab at Harvard and then transitioning into business. I am just highly fascinated about how much you've done in, in these these past years. I'm also really excited to hear that um, you you have been inspired by some of the people that are making real impact on the continent like Sandra Dele, whom you mentioned. Um, so that's that's remarkable. Um, I was going to ask you, but you already touched on some of the, the resources that you leverage. And for me, I would say that what I pick up from that is you really leveraged your relationships and networks with the yeah. people that had gone ahead of you in business or in, in other fields and yeah. really took the time to learn from them or just listen to what they had to say about some of their about their journey. And so this is our chance as listeners and also for me as I host and your friend to also learn from your journey. So I'm going to be asking you some questions about your journey, if that's okay. That's um, fine. Yeah, that's so I'm, I'm actually pumped for this. Um, and we'll get to your travels because I know you're yeah. a well-traveled man. Um, but uh, okay. <laughs> but before I get to that, I wanted to ask you, I wanted you to, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share about... Um, what kinds of ways um, that you want to, you you would like to make change? Like, you know, what's, do you have any, what's your thought process when you think about making change, providing jobs for people? Um, and I was, I was very impressed hearing you say entrepreneurship not only empowers you to, you know, to grow in your career, but also uh, empowers you to empower other people on the continent by providing jobs, providing resources, livelihood, and allowing other people to um, live out their dreams as you empower them. Is, is that a fair characterization? I think that's something I, you know, I, I, I feel you're passionate about just hearing you speak. Um, yeah. But what are some of the ways that you hope to be able to provide these opportunities? Um, no, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very fair um, 
assessment also that's very i think that's a very very good question as well um just just um as a preface i think whatever comments i provide is based on my experience and i hope that i do hope that it can translate to our listeners um, at the same time it's it's a one it's a one point on the big graph right so i just want to take that uh, preface on a precaution so there are many ways I think people can create change, but based on what I've observed and I've been exposed to, I would say, um, and this has developed over time. I think primarily I thought that, um, you know, um, prior impact, which is, I, I kind of mentioned, I like broad, like, you know, empowering people, but it's how do you empower people? And I've come to realize that is, I think one is providing, um, like, making sure that you give people the respect and just the trust that um, that they can do it by themselves. And there's a lot of, of there's a lot of caveats to this. So, I mean, most of the time, and maybe I will just kind of dive a little bit into my experience in Uganda when I was working with some local entrepreneurs, which you can expand further in this episode. But, you know, Part of it was that, you know, you come from the U.S., you, you're in, the, in an MBA program at Boston College, considered one of the best entrepreneurship. And you go there and you have great intentions. You want to build their, um, their businesses and you want to bring in what you have learned in class, like, you know, building a better balance sheet, you know, providing a better accounting system and um, kind of helping them strategize. And within the, you know, almost month or two months that I was there kind of what I saw every week was that even though they didn't have some of the knowledge and the skill sets that I have been fortunate to be exposed to and read many HBAs uh, have a business school case studies that gave me an opportunity to think about how companies address situations the most important thing that I realized uh, of, I mean, to some degree towards the end which was kind of unfortunate was that I had to be able to listen to what they, 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 what they thought about the problem, but also what were the local uh, ideas and approaches that they had been implementing or they could implement. And I just had to add or build on that. And I think it was something that, you know, it takes time because sometimes, it, I mean, I went there, I didn't know most of the people, I just read the biographies and, you know, I've had some Skype conversations. But I think um, it's, there's this uncertainty that you have to just be willing to accept at the same time with some level of, of just like this unrealistic trust that you just have to say, okay, you know what, I'll just listen to what they have to say. I'll look at the projects that they've been working on, all the solutions that I've come up with. And try to navigate around that, or even you know, co and from there actually co-create a solution. But I think the key point is that you sh- they should be at the f- at the forefront of of actually applying that solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think you know, you know, five years now, no, sorry, three years now from that time I went to Uganda. They are the ones in Uganda, and they're the ones doing the project. I'm, I'm here, right? And 
provided that you know you had empowered them i mean 100 percent, and say hey this is your project this is for you this is for your community mm-hmm. um that i think i mean just from the first conversation this doesn't have to be in the middle of the conversation or the middle of the project it's like it has to be at the beginning and i think that's a very good way to actually address um i mean to your question create change because if you don't make people confident or trust you that you trust them it's really hard to do whatever you're trying to do in the beginning so i think change is more about uh, the change that i think will be very long-term and systemic is to realize that people have the capacity to think for themselves even it might it might not be you know the right way but to give them that opportunity to express themselves and also to kind of pull pull out some of the solution that they have and you can actually just kind of build on that or actually readdress it or reassess it with them and i think that in that way you create very long-term relationships because it's all about human connections first before any projects that you might have in mind right so for the for the benefit of our, our listeners can you you know i'd like for you to be able to talk about you know how you ended up in uganda why uganda and what your vision for going into uganda was what kinds of projects did you envision being engaged in versus what you actually did when you're on the ground um who were you interacting with and what were some of the goals of these projects you know so why did you go to uganda um what did you end up doing in uganda and um in hindsight you know what what are your reflections on that experience yeah, most definitely i think that's that's a very good way to go into kind of the next phase of the question so um uganda came up when so I just at this point in time I done one semester at Babson College like in my MBA program and I met this um, and also at that time I was working for this company it was part time it was called Bridge for Billions and basically Bridge for Billions is an online incubator so you can go in there you can actually have a three to six months uh, uh, incubation period where you actually get connected to a mentor. And any person around the world can apply for this program, like $30 a month. And you get that like, it's uh, online um, training with, uh, uh, as well as being paired with a mentor based on what you're trying to build from around the world. So I was working as a sales, uh, as a sales person and I ended up in this uh, event that was being hosted at Microsoft down here, right here in Cambridge. And one of the people that was there was this lady from Haiti. Or she's originally from Haiti, but she's uh, Haitian American, okay. and she she was from Boston College. So you know, being that's one of the sponsors for Bishop Bill, and she was also a sponsor but from Boston College. She um, we just had that come because she said she's from Boston. I said, hey, I'm an MBA student in Boston College, and it's great to see someone from Boston here. And we just struck a very interesting conversation and. And, you know, she brought up this fellowship program in Uganda where they're looking for someone, someone with uh, a business school student who can help build some of these healthcare startups from a marketing standpoint or from just a strategy, pure strategies perspective. But the main goal was to kind of build on some of the existing um, projects that, um, that they're working on in Uganda. Right. Uh, so... What happened was that Boston College at that time partnered with MGH, Massachusetts General Hospital. And within MGH, there is this incubator, healthcare incubator, that has, that has a headquarters in 
in Barara, Uganda, which is like south of Uganda. And they, about a year ago, they had started this uh, hackathon. Mm-hmm. And through this hackathon, some startups came out of it. And a year later, these startups had grown to a point where they needed someone with some management experience to build on what they had started, right? So um, there were a couple of projects I had to work on. Actually, when I went there with the more projects, because what had happened was that it had become more like a co-working space okay. where, you know, and, you know, students from Barara University of Science and Technology come in there to work together, but also to develop the ideas. But <clears throat> so before I left Boston to Uganda, so what happened was I applied for this fellowship, you know, and a month later I actually got it. And the, the premise of, this, of the fellowship, which was called the Innovation Leadership Fellowship, was to actually uh, work with these companies to help one expand their products to uh, greater Uganda to develop a very uh, long-term marketing strategy that will be able to penetrate different uh, sectors of the market. You know, it's a very kind of a segregated system. And third, come up with a very solid strategy on how they can um, adjust the price that is affordable <clears throat> for the greater masses because most of these products are healthcare-related products and the low-income uh, uh, market is, has a, the greater size. So that was the premise of it. There were three companies at the time. There was Sunny Drop, which is a hand sanitizer, and there was Prism, which stands for uh, promoting uh, remote infants using SMS. So it's like a mobile app. And the last one was called iDress. iDress is like a local uh, wound dresser mm-hmm. that uses local products that has been certified to heal wounds. So these were all healthcare products. So before I left, you know, that was what I had in mind. And I was connected with some really good, uh, you know, more exp- uh, really experienced Ugandans on the ground who have been working with these entrepreneurs since when they had the, the, the styles have been developed. Right. So in the, on the Boston side, you had MGH, uh, phys- uh, MGH physicians and, you know, nurses that, had really had known these entrepreneurs that worked with them, uh, such as Dr. Chris Olson, who is to, which at this time actually he came up with this COVID-19 testing kit that, you know, nurses can test patients without meet, having a face-to-face contact. It's like a, a boot, right, which he just developed, which is pretty cool. But, so you know, is that in, that's in use in Uganda now, or is that in the... In at the, MGH. It's, it's at MGH, okay. Yes, yes. And he came up with that. It's pretty cool. And it's, I mean, they're still easier up to now. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, Chris Olson's Dr. Chris Olson is amazing. Um, and he was he's well connected in that space in Uganda as well as here in the US in terms of healthcare startups. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with Chris Olson connected me to Data Santa Saturino, who is the head of the incubator of Uganda. So when I went to Uganda, you know, I worked with. Dr. Data, uh, Nuret, Nyambogo, and Martin, uh, kind of Martin's last name is kind of escaping my mind, but Martin was really cool as well. So these three people, Nuret, Martin, and Dr. Data, who is a pediatrician, were the key uh, points of contact and the leaders of the incubators, of the incubator. And they were also well connected with the startups as well. So, um, so yeah, that was how we, I got there. I mean, I got there, I met them, and we started, we started, 
you know, building the plans on on how to interact with these startups and to work with them to achieve these deliverables that I had to deliver uh, two months later. That's incredible. What what are, what would you say are some of your favorite memories from your time in Uganda? Yes, um, I think the I think one was just the the peace of mind in terms of like you get up in the morning and you don't think about anything. I mean, I have to go to work. <laughs> I had to go to work, but he's just like, um, I mean, I, I'm sure you can relate to this. There was just this, there's just this sense of like, there's no rush, you know, you don't have to, um, it's like, I, I feel like in the US, you know, before I left, it was, I felt like something is chasing me and I have to do this. Uh, Your rent is chasing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, like, you just like things are slow paced. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes they were not ideal, ideal conditions to get things done. But at the same time, was, I think life was spaced, uh, uh, spaced out in a way that you can actually appreciate every single event or activity that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that was just one one thing I just realized, like going, like going, getting there. The thing was just like the people; uh, they were very. Uh, they really cared about you and they, they really wanted, they wanted you to have a good experience. Martin, like, you know, treated me like a, like a younger brother when I got there. He wanted to really make sure that I had a really good time. So the people are just like really, they're really like, you know, caring and they, they, they made sure you had a great time there. And that was something that I really appreciate the interactions I had with the leaders of the incubator, but as well as the entrepreneurs, just how, is how, um, kind of they had this enormous um greed like they really wanted to make things happen but and also and also it's not bad but and also they were very uh positive i mean you could tell like there's so many limitations like one is like you know they have to really figure out their, their product market fit there's so many things they have to address but at the same time they'll come back every day trying to make this work and that was very inspiring especially at times when you know, the internet goes off, you know, lights go off, you know, but you just seen how, how passionate they were and how um, uh, committed they were to the, to the startups. I think that was something that, you know, kept you moving. And I mean, and, and that's one of the reasons why I actually decided to, to just be, to love the entrepreneurial ecosystem in my country and to do stuff there uh, beyond the fellowship program. A lot of things for me to learn and for hopefully for our listeners to to learn from your experience. Um, And I really appreciate you bringing up that even though it was, you know, life was slow paced, one of the things you enjoyed was not feeling the pressure of being chased because sometimes I think that's easy, especially for young professionals, to believe that you always have, you know, the way to always be successful is to necessarily be chasing it. But sometimes, you know, what are you really chasing at the end of the day is, is a good mm-hmm. question to pause and think about. Uh, and sometimes mm-hmm. pausing and just enjoying the journey, the, the process can also be mm-hmm. good. Um, so I, I like that, that that was one of the things you enjoyed or was one of the favorite things from being in Uganda. But yeah. I was hoping, well, I wanted to ask, um, did you have any challenges working with entrepreneurs on the ground? Because you were on the ground as well. And so did you have any, um, were there any 
things that or experiences that you wish could have been better or or and if they if they were uh, would you mind sharing yeah, definitely i mean first of all i think your questions have been great so far um, <laughs> well so, side note to the man. side note to the listeners jacob and i conf- no i'm just kidding <laughs> no, I was initially you're like no this is my first time and, uh, but it sounds like i've been doing this <laughs> you know f- uh, you have to f- come up with full disclosure here um, <laughs> uh, no, no no <laughs> yeah just show the papers um so yeah i think challenges were actually you know I mean, there was, there was a point where I just wanted to come back to the U.S. And I'm just being honest. I think um, one, one, one was, I mean, there were several, but I think one thing that was kind of, um, I had to really come to grips with. And I mean, before I got there, you know, I had this mindset, like, let's get things done. And it took me a while. So I you know I know one of the things I mentioned I really liked about it was like the slow pace. But, you know, when you just come from the United States and you want to, and you're, you're sent on a mission and you're being paid because MJ is paying me for this. So I really wanted to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got there and I was like, let's get things done, they were like, no. The first of all, like, you know, when I got interesting, the first time I went, the first, my first, my first day, I got there, and like the first was arrived like around like ten a.m. You know, I was, I mean, it's like we should meet at eight, you know. <laughs> and, and I, I know, no, no, Martin, I love you guys, Marit, I love you guys. <laughs> but, you know, but you know, then I was like, oh, I really want to, and at the first, what the first thing, which I think like uh, one of the leaders in the incubator kind of laid out. The companies and what they're doing and so that, which was really interesting and i just like okay i had made these sheets expert spreadsheets and stuff so start putting the data and they're like you know what we should just just chill and we need to go get lunch and i've not done anything yet you they, know? Just the got, they just got there we just got there you know <laughs> and i mean once they arrived they actually made some tea and the tea making the tea took some time you know <laughs> So we, we had some tea and uh, I think it was mamusa. Mamusa, it's like it's like uh, dough. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. So we had. Some that's really. Hus- I'd say. I, I don't know about you, Jacob, but I'd say that's really hospitable of them. I don't know. You know. <laughs> they, I mean, they were really. I mean, it's just like I had this pressure at the back of my like. I really need to deliver. I mean, I've been sent by these doctors and nurses. You know, I had this pre- like. I just had this pressure on myself that. The LX had this and said if um, if I said this in a way that on the first day that no, this is action based and I need to get the data and I need to get people committed to the work, then that will have a ripple effect downstream. I you know, so that was the intention I had in mind. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, these people they have their own way of life, cultures, and you know, I had to adapt to them rather than them adapting to me. That's interesting. So, yeah, exactly. So I mean, kind of the challenge. I mean, I mean, with time, I know back and forth. You know, you always have like, oh yeah, I need to just chill and like, you know, kind of go with the pace. But at the same time, it was like I need to get things done, right? And that was something that at the, I, I mean, to some degree, I always wanted to get more data. I wanted to make sure that people are just committed to the time that we. They, they said we have to meet, you know, people can deliver a certain 
uh, milestones at the times that we had discussed, right? So that was like something that had to really get to their pace in order to get things done uh, or even to just get something something done. Um, and, I mean, that was something that we, you could tell. I mean, even to now, when I still work with some of the entrepreneurs down there is how do you manage the expectations of time from their, from their point of view and what they, how fast or how slow they have to deliver something. Um, you know, and one other thing was just, I mean, I mean, I saw, you know, from West Africa, that East Africa, I mean, it's not the same. You know, I had expectations of what Africans are. Right. But I think, you know, when you travel across, uh, when you travel to another country, especially when it's not in the same area, there are certain things that are just different. Um, I mean, the food is different. Yeah. The food is different. And, <clears throat> you know, so I was like, I want African food and they gave me uh, uh, matuke. So matuke is like mashed bananas. Okay. Uh, and it's different. It's not the same like in West Africa. Right. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's different. And so, I mean, just this just like what you think of being African is challenged as well. That's so that's pretty interesting perspective, I will say. And I haven't had the chance to visit. I'm, I'm West African as well, for, for those who may not know. But I haven't had the chance to visit other parts of other sub-regions. And so I appreciate you sharing that perspective. Um, but I, I mean, as one as we keep drumming every single day, Africa is not a country at all. Uh, mm. And the continent is really, really filled with many diverse flavors, um, not just yeah. from a food perspective, but just culturally, um, we the, the people of Africa differ in many different ways. So I, I you know, that's a lot of that is to be expected. Um, um, but I think it's also cool that, and interesting that when you encountered, when you encountered the, the different parts of Africa, like you did, that somehow you're taken aback, you know, like you're surprised by it. I also think you made some very salient points. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out really briefly was, you know, one when I thought it was interesting that you had you had to adjust going back to going back to Africa. You felt like you had to, and going back to Uganda. But you know, I I, I say Africa to mean home. You felt like you needed to make adjustments to be more like them, which kind of sounds like you had become more American in a way, which makes sense owing to your education and your 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 professional experiences from your adult life. And so that you know that's to be expected. But I think it's interesting that, or should I say it's it's ironic in a way that mm -hmm. you had to adjust. Um, which brings me to the point I, I actually want to make. Um, when a lot of times when you have investors from you know the developed you know the West go into yeah. African countries, it seems to be that, you know, just from other people I've had conversations with, the expectations are not the same. And I I think I I I would say it's fair that that was kind of your experience, that the expectations that you had going in were not necessarily on par with the expectations that folks on the ground, the actual entrepreneurs had. Uh, yeah. So there's kind of a gap there. Um, yeah. And some of the challenge, challenges you experience highlight that, for example, with time management and uh, meeting milestones. Would you, can you share some insight on, you know, some some thoughts you may have on bridging some of that gap. Um, another thing I know you mentioned was just the availability of timely information. 
um, for instance, and how did that impact your work? You know, and how what are some of the thoughts you may have on on bridging some of those gaps? You know, so that um, yeah, yeah. You know, great question, Kevin. That's really, really, really. I mean, at some point we have to address this because I think um, to to actually mitigate this challenge, but also like close this gap is very critical on how it's very critical on how we, we move forward in actually using the tool of entrepreneurship and investment as a as a medium <clears throat> or media for creating a long term change. I think one thing I'll say and I think as I mean we've probably had this conversation on the side is um we actually in the best position to create to close this gap because I mean even though I had these challenges that I was trying to kind of meet their expectations, I had been exposed to this type of culture in my in my younger years. So um, it was not just about I don't connect. It's just like because of the gap that I had in the U.S., I had formed a different person, personality of myself mm-hmm. that, um, you know, being confronted with my older self or what i've been exposed to when i was younger it's a little bit um a little bit of a discomfort mm-hmm. but at the same time i as, as i will say i was in between both walls and i think it's actually i think it's the ideal space to be in if you want to be the person that uh kind of promotes long-term change and i'll say that based on of uh, what I think is the right way to move forward. So one side is that locals have to create the change, but you know, some of the t- some of the tools, but also like just a mindset has to be, um, you know, brought in from outside. Not to say what they have in there is not is completely wrong. It's just for them to actually get something done that is very systemic or long term. They have to shift. They have to do a little bit of shifting of the mindset, which, to most in most cases, has to come from outside. But it doesn't have to be a hundred percent from what people from the outside think on how a project has to be implemented. Because at the end of the day, it's still it's for them over people. there. It's right. It's definitely, Kevin. Definitely. So, I you know at some point, and I think it's something that is still a process. I I think I. It's better that we are in this position because we actually see both sides of both walls and we can be a very good catalyst on channeling local growth, but also bringing in the kind of resources that can be very um, valuable for them to scale up whatever they're trying to build. So I think in my case, and I'm not saying you have to be an African in diaspora to be the person to make this happen. I would just say, if you really want to be a, you want to be someone that can actually build on something on the local level into something that can grow into like a national level in, in, a, in a country in Africa, you have to be willing to one, like either bring people on board that understand the local environment, mm-hmm. but also willing to connect with people from the outside mm-hmm. and be able to differentiate like, okay, this is just a a different perspective, but the people on the ground they have the upper hand in terms of implementing projects along uh, uh, long term. 
So as an investor, and I know the, the different, uh, uh, most, you have most of these foreign FDI, foreign direct investments that come in, and some of them are, might, ha- might, not, uh, might have not been exposed to Africa. It's a little bit challenging for them to actually uh, communicate effectively what they expect. And for the invest for the entrepreneurs on the ground to really understand right. what their expectations are, so my, I mean one thing that to, one which addresses probably is like one have people that have had experience on both walls, mm-hmm. in both walls, and not just like because I for one I still need more experience or more exposure because I mean I was back there just for a couple of months, but I mean someone who legitimately has been on the ground, but also you know someone that has been exposed to the financial and the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Africa to understand what their, how their tone is, what their language is, what their expectations are, what they understand by milestones, <clears throat> and to be able to navigate both worlds very clearly. Right. I think this individuals have the capability to actually bridge both worlds and create that communication that's needed. But I'll say like the upper hand has to be given to people on the ground because that's where the project happens. And there has to be some mutual respect. I think I started the podcast by saying mutual respect is key for long-term growth. Yeah. It's just like, if you don't respect the people that are actually doing the work, and I'm just here, just upfront rude. I'm just saying like, just value the ideas, mm-hmm. value the way they think, value the project that I've already had and build on that. I think it's very critical to, to initiate the conversation to begin with. And hopefully that can build, start building the bridge to creating this mutually beneficial um, projects in add-on with the financing that will be key for their success. This is some very valuable points. I, I hope our listeners were taking notes. For me, the notes mm-hmm. I've taken are one, and probably most important, there has to be mutual respect for you know the visionaries, the, the, the folks running with the ideas, birthing and running with the ideas. Those, those are the entrepreneurs. And even though there may be frustrations on uh, from all parties, you know, respect will allow a coalition to address the challenge really, and not the people. Um, and then, um, with respect, mutual respect comes mutual understanding. Um, understanding exactly. that there are different perspectives here, but the goal mm-hmm. is to address a problem, and that while solutions maybe in the West may have worked. You know, adapting them to a different context will take some adaptation. You know, you, you can't just lift lifting a solution from you know London and just transplanting it into Uganda will probably not serve the people of Uganda well because that does not respect the entrepreneurs on the ground. But it also may not be feasible given the context. So those are my takeaways from from the wisdom that you have shared today. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, no, perfectly right. Perfectly right. And you have some of these uh, contexts, so I think I'm just reiterating some of the things that we've discussed before. And I, I hope that our listeners get some better insights into, you know, um, or it, gets them, it puts them in a better place for those thinking of doing some work on, on the continent, yeah. or just any, really in any emerging market really around the world. Um, yes. So speaking of emerging markets around the world, I know, Jacob, you've been, uh, you've been attracted to the Asian continent in, 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 to, you know, for, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And, and I know you've, you've done some, some talking work. So, you know, tell us, tell us some of your experiences. First of all, which Asian countries you've been to, um, the, the, 
I don't know if I we want to start a, an Asian version of Jollof Wars. So I'm not going to ask you <laughs> where your favorite meal in, no. comes from. But, you know, just... No, that's simple. Uh, sure. Or you can share that too, actually. I will appreciate it if you can. Um, but yeah. also talk about, if you could talk about, you know, your beyond your travel experiences the favorite your favorite hobbies there first what took you to asia and mm-hmm. um to the various countries that you visited um what those experiences were uh, and then maybe talk about how you can contrast your experience consulting in asia to your experience pretty much consulting also in uganda and, and uh, you know and what the lessons from those experiences could be no, definitely. Uh, if I may ask the first question, I, I didn't get the first question. Sure. Oh, so yeah, I just want, just tell us which Asian countries you've been to, and you know where your favorite food was, and what was it? <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, yeah. So I was fortunate enough to meet a professor. I have to kind of give a shout out to Professor Philip Kim. He's at Babson College, and my last my last bit one semester at Babson for the MBA program, I. Um, I actually, I mean, it was an idea that I've been thinking about, but it didn't come to fruition until I met Professor Philip Kim, who actually collected me. He had the, the database of the people that I could meet in this, uh, somewhat emerging markets, but most Asian markets that um, I felt were very key learning. Uh, they were very actionable, on the ground experiences that I could actually uh, learn about this market, uh, the countries, but also the people and their thought process of how they think about entrepreneurship, uh, the philosophy of entrepreneurship, and also how they want to create systemic change from lessons learned in the past, but also um, how they are using what they're learning right now to impact the future. So uh, with uh, uh, Professor Philip Kim, we came up with this uh, list of countries that I could travel to meet some of his networks to learn about what they're doing and how they think about their own country, but also as in a broader way, like Southeast Asia, the impact of Southeast Asia on the world. Um, and with that, so I kind of, the first place I went to um, was South Korea. And, he, you, know, you know, South Korea was the first point. Later, I left South Korea, I went to Taiwan. Um, Taiwan, the... You know, that was like the first two countries. Then a few months later, I, I decided to go to Thailand, uh, Vietnam, China, and back to South Korea. So I think there's how many countries? Four or five? Many. This, this, man, yeah. is a, this <laughs> man is a well-traveled man. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. So, I mean, um, I, I, so the thing is, I've been to South Korea now two times. And it's just, I've gotten to, and I, I've spent the longest time in that country. So... Uh, I had, I had more time to test their food. <laughs> <Just to get laughs> what what was your favorite thing to eat in South Korea? So I mean, there's it's hard to choose because they have the Korean barbecue, which is just like, um, you know, I mean, just barbecue, but just like the the meat and the sauce that they use is just it's just extraordinary. I mean, the bibimbap, which is like a mixture of vegetables with rice, mm-hmm. um, it, it just it's just amazing. Um, one, they have this very, I mean, because I was, <clears throat> you know, I was also, I was also cautious on how much spending I had to spend. Right. Um, one of the very affordable uh, food they have is, is more like a, a side dish. It's not like a main dish, 
happened. It's called Taboki. Taboki. And um, it's, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just really nice. <laughs> you have like the, the cheese Taboki. And if you, you know, had, if you have that with, uh, with soju, soju is like a popular Korean drink. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good combination. So taboki is actually one of like very affordable, but also like very good intro. Did you learn to make it? No, no. I mean, no. Those things are those (laughs) things that that they're not easy to come by in terms of like just um, trying to follow the rest. No, it's just it looks simple. I think it will not be hard, but I think I'm not sure. So if I want to try taboki, I have to now go to Korea because I can't count on you to make it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I, I, I will honest. plan to visit Korea then. But yeah. so you did, you did, Jacob. You did some consulting work in in Korea. Um, what was that experience like? And uh, so, what, I mean, what industry did you work in, or what industry did you work with? And um, yeah, can you can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, sure. So this what happened was that I worked with some Korean students. To do consulting in Vietnam, mm-hmm. so um, and there was a uh, um, so there was some um, Korean uh, um, support in in building the the, the consulting uh, strategy that I did in Vietnam with some of my colleagues from Vietnam uh, from Korea, and so. Vietnam was actually where I did some consult, like uh, like you know we worked with uh, several companies. Okay. In Vietnam, those Vietnam Post, Vietnam Post was one of the companies that requested. They had some. Uh, they were trying to uh, reach out to to networks in the suburbs, in the <clears throat> sorry, in the rural areas, and you know they were trying to now uh, kind of build um, platforms that will provide access to those rural areas, right? Like something that is more tech-based, mm-hmm. um, something that, you know, can really penetrate some of those markets. So that was one of the main, one of the main uh, um, clients for this project that we're working on. And they were also other into those Asia Foundation as well. And those, this local incubator in Vietnam that worked with women entrepreneurs, and provided a space. I mean, it worked with both men and women, but you no, know, women was kind of the the market that could provide the highest value. Yeah. And that was something that, yeah, something they were trying to focus on. It was based in um, um, uh, the International Trade Foreign University, which is based in Vietnam. Very great school. So it's known for entrepreneurship as well. I just want to point out really quickly your point about you know the uh, viability of investing in women. That's a common theme we're seeing also as we look across the African continents. And so it's a, basically for any women out there with um, any business, visionary business ideas, uh, solutions, uh, I, this is, you know, we want you to feel empowered um, and seek the resources because there's a lot of opportunity um, and there's evidence to show that women who are given opportunity in business do excel and generate, you know, pretty sustainable, remarkable returns. And so, you know, just just putting that out there and encouraging, uh, I think that's interesting to see those trends um, in different markets. Um, and yeah. that just underscores the, the need to invest in women. Okay, sorry, sorry, Jacob. I just couldn't wait to put no. it out there. 
No, this is, I mean, that's a very great point. And uh, thanks for even just bringing that out there. I think it's very critical for how we think about the future and, and who will be the main. I think women will uh, definitely lead the way in in kind of the, uh, the entrepreneurial ventures that we develop as well as investments mm-hmm. that need to be channeled to them. So um, they definitely is something that was worth addressing. Um, I mean, going back to the experience of working with the Korean colleagues in Vietnam, um, and this was just this last summer in 2019, you know, uh, one thing about Koreans and the, the, the workaholics, they, get, they can work, they can work 24, 24-7. Um, I think when they set their mind on something, um, it's, it's just really impressive. We had a bunch of things about 15 students from Korea and they, they just put in the work um, and just like the culture of, you know, um, thinking about how do we uh, get things done is something that's ingrained in how they think about uh, entrepreneurship. Um, and also how they think about solving challenges. So I think that was something that was very obvious upfront. And that was something that, I mean, not to say Africans are not hardworking, or the African entrepreneurs are not hardworking. It's just from how they, um, um, they just saw challenges or something like they had to address them and they had to address them very swiftly in a very coordinated way. Um, it's they work more in groups. Um, and, it's, and that's something that is very visible. They can really work together to get something done. Um, so that's that really outstanding. And I mean, from a very macro level, it's all about, you know, Korea is kind of, I think, uh, considered one of the most innovative countries in the world right now. So they have this back end, um, the back of their minds, they have that idea that, you know, they can actually innovate and can actually be very entrepreneurial and creative at the same time. So that adds on to like that macro thing of, yes, we can actually go solve problems because we have this national identity of being in the innovators of the world so um adding on to that it was very you could actually see that support but also that community there's a very strong bond within koreans uh, to actually be the front front bearers when they're actually addressing problems or trying to address any entrepreneur uh, products which so it made the consulting easy easier for right. me because you know it was very it was a very um very coordinated effort that's pretty insightful um and there are definitely again lessons to be learned um or from that example um i think one thing i have learned is that building teams and not just anything but good teams um makes allows you know the team to leverage each person's skills and strengths so that you can address the, the problem again but Sometimes if you don't have a good team also, you, then you can't, teams allow you to hold members accountable. Um, and yeah. when you don't have a good team, there would not be a lot of accountability. And sometimes that can exactly. be a burden, but it seems like that was not the case in, in, in with your experience in Vietnam. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Exactly. Um, which makes me think, exactly. you know, for, for any ideas that folks want to, want to bring any entrepreneurs in, you know, in any other emerging markets, especially in, in on the African continent, it, it may be worth, you know, taking some time. It will be worth taking some time to select a very good team that you can also trust. And that's 
going to hold you accountable, not necessarily agree with all of your ideas, but to hold you accountable and to push you to do, to meet the goals for which the team was convened. So that's, that's, that's something I've learned from you sharing your experience in, in Vietnam, but across Asia in general. Um, we're approaching the yeah. hour mark. And so I just wanted to ask one yes. final question to uh, ask you one final question, Jacob. Um, what's coming up for you in, you know, in the near future? I know you're wrapping up your studies at Babson. Um, and I, no pressure at all. This is an interesting time uh, globally regarding the pandemic. But also, that's always a very uh, nerve-wracking question to ask any any student who's graduating. So I don't mean to put you on the spot. But, you know, what ideas do you have? And they do not have to be, you know, near-term. Like, are you looking, not necessarily what you're looking to do this summer, but just, you know, over the next year or so, what are some things that you're considering um, whether they're concrete plans or not doesn't really matter. What thoughts do you have? I mean, uh, that question <laughs> me yes, what I what you like it or not, yeah. right? Is it's coming. Uh, I think uh, some of these things are inevitable. Uh, we have to think about kind of what we what we aspire to. And as you clearly said, I mean the pandemic has changed this kind of kind of this I mean, it's changed everything. Yeah. So um, I, I think for me, I'm actually just, I'm trying as much as possible. And, you know, something that I really hope that I'll be able to to kind of condition myself, but also put myself in a, in a situation where um, I try new things. I mean, this podcast is one of the things that um, I see as a way that we can share information, knowledge, interact with people, build value in some way and actually create change that is safer, um, I mean, based on the lack of, uh, of social distancing. But um, I'm trying to open up to different uh, challenges and also opportunities that I can be able to apply some of the skill sets that I've learned in this program and the MBA program that um, will still achieve the same goal uh, to some degree, but also maybe hopefully even reach out to more people. So... Um, yeah, so I'm looking at different options. I've been trying out podcasting. You've been very, very good friend to kind of experiment on this on this journey. Um, trying to do online consulting, um, you know, so different ways to just think about how can I do kind of create quality content or quality work while also being as valuable as I can be uh, to impact uh, the communities I'm really fascinated and interested in, and alongside help people uh, that might really need some of what I've learned in school, but also the experiences I've had. So, I mean, I know it sounds very open-ended, but I think we're also in a very That's open-ended right. world That's right now. Right. That's <laughs> absolutely right. Um, so, again, I apologize, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but you know, yes. I'm, you're a brilliant guy, and you're, um, it's, always, it's always a pleasure to hear what ideas you have um, and what, what visions you have for yourself, uh, for the continent, because I know that you're very well invested in, in emerging markets and and with your work with through one of your one of your initiatives that we didn't actually talk about on this podcast, Jamani Jamani Inclusive. Um, yeah. So we might have to bring you back from this podcast to talk about your work, ladies and gentlemen. Jacob has a a vast array of experiences, and so as you can clearly tell, one episode. It's just not enough to encapsulate those experiences. But we'll, we'll surely bring Jacob back for another episode. 
Um, Jacob's a really is a great friend, incredible friend, and to me, a big brother. Uh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with him and to always learn from him, especially in a setting like this, to share his professional experiences. Um, I hope that you've gained some insight into his work um, across the continent of Africa, but also even outside of Africa, and, and have learned from his perspective, having grown up on the continent, but also stepping away and looking at it from outside of Africa. Um, but this has been, it's been, a, it's been a great pleasure having you, Jacob. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you so much. Your questions were really spot on and it's a great opportunity to share what, uh, what I've done. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.